0: I have a message today that ties in quite nicely with the series that we've been on the last few weeks, which I'm just going to summarize so you know the context of where we're coming from. The series title is, Is Your Christianity Too Safe? And the idea, the kind of premise is is this, that, that if we value safety and comfort above everything else... The danger is we, we unconsciously begin to, to sort of retreat and to hide away and to back off and to build protective walls. And if we do that, there's a danger that we start to miss the point. There's a danger that we that we slip off message, that we forget the main thing. There's a danger that we, we begin to lose effectiveness as ambassadors for... Christ and ultimately become irrelevant and certainly fall short of the radical nature of the kingdom that Jesus came to launch. And so into that that, that tension, if you like, we've gone through a series of of challenging messages and today uh, my message is based on a tweet that I read recently that unfortunately I can't remember who said it. But the the tweet said this, said, love is a tiger, not a pussycat. And I don't know, as I I read that, something inside of me kind of grabbed me by the intestines and twisted or something. And I thought, you know, that's a really powerful statement. Love is a tiger, not a pussycat. So let me ask you this question from the get-go. Are you a pussycat or are you a tiger, I ought to say right from the beginning, I'm a dog person. But anyway, I won't say any more. Questions like this, how, how tenacious is your love? Or, or, or is your love prepared to go where angels fear to tread? Or, or let me ask you this, how easily does your love fail? How easy, easily does it give, give up or, or, or collapse or, or turn? I see a pussycat loves when it's easy, but quits when it isn't. You have to bear with me while I, while I paint the picture. What I see is tiger love versus pussycat love. Pussycat love is very, very nice, but loses sight of justice and truth, and morality when it's pressurised. Pussycat pussycat love loves when it's coming straight back at you, but moves on quickly when it doesn't. The contrast is, is tiger love, love just because it's the right thing to do, whatever the consequences. A tiger bounces back every time it's rejected, In fact, it loves even stronger and even harder. A tiger is is patient but not soft. It's tough but gentle. It's forgiving but it's not morally weak. It's powerful but it's not controlling. You may be familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that I'm going to read very quickly, which to me describes tiger love. This is the passage that gets read oftentimes at weddings. And it goes like this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. You see, the reality is, it's easy to love when they're lovely. It's easy to forgive When they're sorry. It's easy to bless when we know that there's something coming back our way. But as we'll see in a minute, Jesus' teaching went way beyond that. I want to give you a couple of examples of of tiger love so I can paint the picture for you. The first one, uh, you may or may not have heard of, of, of an old English preacher by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. Quite well known, often referred to in messages because he said some really powerful things. He was kind of a gruff northerner, so he was slightly controversial in his methods, but he was a really powerful man of God. In fact, we call him the Apostle of Faith. So, um, as I said, he was born in Yorkshire in 1859. Uh, He was born to a poor family. He He was illiterate. And then as he, probably Fraser's age, he he trained to become a plumber. And then he married a lady called Polly. Polly was was, uh, in the Salvation Army. She was a, a preacher. They got married in 1882 in Bradford. And actually it was Polly who taught him how to read. Now, although Smith Wigglesworth became a Christian quite young, he didn't really get it, until he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his 40s, actually. And so there's a story prior to that where where Polly, who, as I said, was a member of the Salvation Army, who are a very diligent and faithful and committed Christian organisation that you've all heard of. And, you know, Polly insisted, what a great picture, Polly insisted on going to church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Well, Smith was okay with going on Sunday morning, but as far as he was concerned, Sunday evening was a step too far. And so on one occasion, he turned around to her and said, woman, that's how they dress their wives in those days, I understand, <laughs> woman, you've got to make a choice, it's that church or it's me. Well, that that might might have been clear-cut in Smith's mind. I think it was reasonably clear-cut in Polly's as well. And so she went to church that night, and when she got back, she found that the back door and the front door had been locked, bolted, and she was locked out. Smith had made his decision, she had made hers. And so Polly would have slept that night on the uh, doorstep. I'm not sure whether it was winter or summer, probably wearing her Sunday best. And in the morning, finally, he let her in, and she walked in, and the first thing she said to him was, what would you like for breakfast? And she selflessly made him breakfast as though nothing had happened. No rage, no tit for tat, no, no emotional manipulation, just a determination that love wins, That love never fails. That that love has a power beyond limits. That's called tiger love. And the fact that I'm telling you that story shows that for Smith Wigglesworth, who ultimately became this prominent preacher, that, that was a really significant changing point in his life. Another example, this one's, Biblical, one that occurred to me. You remember the, the arrest scene? So, Jesus and his, his inner circle had gone to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas, we know, had now betrayed him, and, and uh, in the scene, the, the Roman army came, led by Judas, into the garden so they could arrest Jesus. And, and the, in this particular scene, Peter, who's kind of this impetuous, Fiery disciple actually comes armed. He's got his sword. He takes it out. He actually slices off one of the guard whose name was is Malchus. Slices off his ear, and we, you can read, I think, it's Luke chapter twenty-two that Jesus just just comes over, just lays his hand on the ear and heals it right now, right there and then. And I try to pi- picture what I would have done if I'd been in that garden. And if I'd been Jesus. Do you know, I I think for me, there probably would have been a degree of protesting. I think I might have been tempted to resist arrest. I think I'd have been whining about the injustice. And I think as I saw that ear locked off, there would have been inside of me just a tiny little bit of serves you right. You know, small blow for the good guys. But you know, Jesus saw that situation through very, very different eyes. See, in that moment, Jesus saw the opportunity for a little bit of redemption. And then it kind of gets me thinking, I wonder what happened to Malchus. You don't hear his name mentioned again. I wonder how powerful and how poignant and significant that moment in time was for him. Jesus choosing to love, as it were, like a tiger. Now, a few years ago, there was a song that was all the rage, and it was called Furious by a church called Bethel, written by a famous songwriter called Jeremy Riddle. And the verse went like this. It said, nothing can tear us from the grip of his mighty love. I wonder what adjective you would first put before the word love. He said, it says, we've only glimpsed his vast affection, heard whispers of his heart and passion talking about God. And then the chorus goes like this. It says, his love is deep, his love is wide, and it covers us. His love is fierce, his love is strong, it is furious. His love is sweet, his love is wild, and it's waking hearts to life. So it makes this statement, says, God's love is fierce, his love is strong, his love is furious. I don't know about you, but that sounds like tiger love to me. And, and, and as I thought about this, I looked up each of those words in the dictionary, I looked up the word fierce, and in the definition you find words like this, words like forceful and eager and intense. In other words, God's love isn't, isn't soft. It's not wimpy or timid. It's not easily put off. It's not easily frightened away. And then you look at the word strong. We know what the word strong means. You, you find words like muscular and robust and courageous. God's love is all of those things. God's love hangs on. It, it stands up. It it digs in. That, that, that tiger love has a moral fortitude and strength that fights for and defends that which is right. And the third word, I don't know if you think of God's love as being furious, but again, you look it up, it, it, it carries the idea of, of an intensity of, of, of passion, of being unrestrained. So we're talking about a love here that, that, that fights its corner that grips tightly to its principles and that comes back for more. Love is a tiger, not a pussycat. You see, love isn't isn't soft and squidgy. Love isn't easily offended. Love isn't circumstantial. Love isn't temporary. Love isn't fickle. Love isn't selective. I want to talk just for a few minutes here about Jesus' love. And I'm going to make three points quickly about Jesus' tiger love. And the first one is this. Jesus' love clung on when everyone else had let go. Number two is Jesus' love fought for the underdog when everyone else had walked away. And thirdly, Jesus' love gave freely, whether it was deserved or expected or requited. Just break those down very quickly. Number one, Jesus' love clung on when everyone else had let go. So Jesus' love gave and it continued giving long after everyone else had given up. Jesus' love continued giving even after Judas had betrayed him. Even after the crowds had abandoned and turned on him. Even after the disciple Peter had denied him. Even after his, his closest friend, the disciples, had scattered. Jesus' love stayed strong like a tiger. You want to think for a second of of some of the things that Jesus did and said as he was hanging on the cross. I'd like you to remember that he had been placed there unjustly. I'd like you to remember that the crucifixion or the process of crucifixion was about as cruel a form of torture and and death that that you could possibly find as the the air was slowly drawn out of your lungs and your shoulder blades started to ache under the pain we're talking about someone that would already been flogged practically to the point of death. I, I wonder what would have been going through my mind at that point. Let, let me show you what was going through Jesus' mind. First of all, we have three little incidents. We have, we have at, the, at the foot of the cross, we have Jesus' mother and we have one of his disciples left, John, who calls himself John the Beloved because he realised how much Jesus loved him. And in that moment... Jesus takes the time to look at Mary and say, behold, looking at John, behold your son. And looked at John and and, and again at Mary said, John, behold your mother. Jesus wasn't sulking. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't raging at injustice. He was still loving like a tiger right to the bitter end. We know in the story that there were two thieves, two criminals On either side, one of them is mocking him remorselessly. Call yourself the son of God. Get yourself down and while you're at it, help us off, please, if you don't mind. Jesus turns to the other one who starts engaging him in conversation. Who starts saying, I I know I'm guilty. I I know I've done what I've done. I'm sorry about that. But what 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 about you? You I see no... Error in you, I see no sin in you, I only see goodness in you. And Jesus turned to the other thief and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. See, right to the very end, Jesus was still doing what he said he was going to do, which was to seek and to save that which was lost. And then the third example, which for me is perhaps the most uh, telling, is is that, that famous prayer as he looks out over his executioners and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know about you. I'm not sure I could have done that. I'd like to think that I could. But frankly, it would only because, be because Jesus showed me how. How? that in spite of of overwhelming pain and injustice, Jesus still did the right thing, however tough. And you know, that is what tiger love does. Second one, Jesus' love fought for the underdog when everyone else had walked away. You know, Jesus, Jesus repeatedly reached out to the weak, to the weakest, to the oppressed, and to the marginalized, always extending love to the others who'd already been judged and already been rejected by everyone else. Numerous examples I could share. One of my favorite stories, the woman who's been caught in adultery and is tossed at Jesus' feet. The crowd are there with the rocks in their hand, ready to stone her according to the law. And they put Jesus in this impossible situation. What do you say? They know Jesus is a man of mercy, but they know that this woman's guilty. Jesus is caught between. And what does Jesus do? Writes in the dirt and then turns around and said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everyone else had rejected that woman. Everyone else had condemned and judged and cast aside and crushed that woman. But Jesus saw her through a very different Lens, think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the little tax collector who Jesus walked past, saw him up a sycamore tree, and invited himself for tea. And we need to understand in that context, the tax collectors were considered to be complete traitors. They They were Jews who were working for the Romans, basically robbing and stealing from the poorest of the poor as they extracted their tax plus a cut. Despised and rejected that man, hated there was no place for him in the crowd so he had to hide up a tree what did Jesus do? Jesus extended the hand of of mercy and love towards him we could think about we think about the prodigal son and that parable we could think about the the woman Samaritan woman at the well you didn't talk to Samaritans they were kind of the enemy and and, you know men weren't seen talking to women in those days women were considered we don't even need to go there You, you know all that history even G- Judas, whom Jesus knew would ultimately betray him, Jesus continued, continued to love him. He said, while we're, while we're fighting our prejudices, while we're counting the cost, while we're trying to look good, Jesus keeps on loving like a tiger. He keeps on, as Barry taught, is embracing the mess. He, he, he ignored the risk. He, he disregarded the criticism. Always fighting for the underdog when everyone else had already walked away. And then thirdly, Jesus gave freely whether it was deserved or expected or requited. Let me read you this fairly familiar passage. This is from the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38 says, your ancestors have also been taught, take an eye in exchange for an eye and a tooth in exchange for a tooth. However, I say to you, don't repay an evil act with another evil act. But whoever insults you by slapping you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. And then dropping down to verse 43 your ancestors have also been taught love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you, and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. And then verse 46 what reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that. Since you are children of a perfect Father in heaven, you are to be perfect like him. And the word perfect there means means mature, and it means complete. And what we have here is is frankly radical teaching. What we have here is, is next level and I think what Jesus is saying here is, is you've been taught to love like a pussycat. Cute, cute and cuddly though they are, but I'm going to teach you to love like a tiger. You see, pussycats return evil for evil. Puppies, no, no. Tigers turn the other cheek. Pussycats love their neighbors, but tigers love their enemies. Tigers bless their curses. Tigers pray for their persecutors. See, see, pussycat kindness is limited to the lovable. But tiger love is perfect. It's mature. It's complete. It's finished. for, For tiger love, it isn't about whether they deserve it. I mean, the wonderful thing about the gospel is Jesus loves us Whether we deserve it or not, it's not about whether they expect it. I mean, some of the most powerful love is given to those who don't expect it. It's not about whether that love is requited, whether it's returned. Because tiger love is unconditional, tiger love is sacrificial, tiger love never fails. So so given given the choice then between pussycat love and tiger love, how do we turn a pussycat into a tiger? I just want to address that just, just quickly here. Three thoughts. First of all, we need to acknowledge the inadequacy of our own human love. Secondly, we need to recognize the supremacy of his love. And thirdly, we need to learn to yield to the latter rather than the former. You see, when it comes to loving like that, when it comes to Matthew 5, verses 38 through 40, I'll be honest with you, in my strength, I just can't pull it off. I can't. I'm just a little bit too selfish. I'm just a little bit too competitive. My my love just isn't... Strong enough. But you know what? His love is. And so his objective then is to get his love into us so he can then get his love through us. I'll say that again. God's object, as he works on our hearts and as he chisels and as he frames and as he molds, his object is, is to get his love into us so that he can get his love coming out of us. Two verses quickly. Romans 5 verse 5 says, For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And the reality, as Christians, who we believe are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have that perfect love already within us. Paul described us as temples of the Holy Spirit. It's in there. The question is, are we going to yield to that love or are we going to yield to our own love? And then we have Ephesians six, sorry, Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19 says, this is Paul praying over the church. He said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, God will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. Then it says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete, it's that word again, with all the fullness of life, And power that comes from God. And the point is that essentially you cannot give what you do not have. See, until you have received love, you cannot give love. Until God's love has changed your life, you cannot realistically expect it to change your circumstances until you've had a a deep revelation of God the Father's heart, his love will not penetrate deep enough to really make a difference. You see, God's love must be the well from which you draw. And the picture that I have in my head at least is we must learn to turn off our tap and to turn on his. So when I face any given situation, scenario, conversation, I turn off my tap, which is my flesh, my frustrations, my, my raw emotions, my, my selfish urges. I have to turn off what Jesus was talking about, that, 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 that right for revenge. I have to let go of that. I have to let go of the, of the recurring need to self-justify that we struggle with. I need to let go of that that urge to be proved right. I need to turn that tap off. Because that tap will always get in the way. That tap is imperfect. That tap is pussycat love. Instead, we need to turn on the tap of his love. As I said, Romans 5 verse 5. We have God's love in us because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so we must learn to turn that tap on so we yield to his grace. We listen to his voice of compassion. And we allow the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We allow that to come out rather than some of the other stuff. And the good news is that if we will do that, there are some very considerable Benefits. And the benefit, quite simply, is this. God can do so much more than we can. Anyone else pleased about that? You see, by doing it God's way, by turning the other cheek, by loving the unlovable, by praying for those who persecute us, by blessing those who curse us. By, by doing it God's way, we step out of flesh, we turn off that tap and we step into spirit and we turn on the other tap. And in doing so, what we do is we open we open a supernatural door to what God can do through you rather than limiting ourselves to what we can do. And if you're anything like me, you've tried doing it your way over and over and over again and many, many times you banged your head against a brick wall. If you're the sort of person who consistently bangs your head against a brick wall, my sensible counsel to you will be stop doing that because it hurts. Plus it's no good for the wall. The flip to that is let, let's open the door to doing it God's way. That, that opens the door to a whole different set of opportunities. It takes away that limiter and opens the door to a torrent of God's blessing. I'll give you one more example, and then i wrap up. So this is a friend of mine from Canada. I'm not going to mention his name, although be really because it's his story to tell. I've heard him tell the story publicly, so I know he won't mind me sharing it. But uh, th- this guy grew up in, in a, uh, about 45 minutes, an hour and a half from Toronto, in a reasonably rural part of Ontario, Canada. And uh, I think it would be fair to say he's kind of a kind of a wild man. Uh, he, he was quite rebellious in his youth. The last time I, I saw John, we're giving his name away now. <laughs> so much for that. Anyway, the last time I saw John, sorry John, I love John. He doesn't mind. Um, we we were on quad bikes, driving around. I can tell you where he is now. Apsley, Ontario, which is really is in the middle of nowhere, on a quad bike. I've never, I'd never driven a quad bike. This was quite a big one. And I had Ollie, who would have been three, under my arm, which means that I'm driving this thing that I've never driven before and it's got far more power than I'm used to with one hand. And we're driving around Apsley, Ontario, avoiding the bear stuff, hanging on for grim death, thinking, how am I going to explain this to Catherine when I get back? And, and he's fine. He's got three kids hanging off the back of his shoulders because he does this all the time. And then we arrived at a log on one occasion and he just stops his quad bike, opens up the hatch, pulls out the chainsaw, rips it open, whack, 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 chucks it away and off we go. I'm from Pearly, Surrey. We don't do that kind of thing. Anyway, so John, coming back, when John's. I think John would have been around 18, 19 and his, his his this is what makes this all exciting. His dad was the pastor, right, of the of the, of the village church, town church, and um, and on one occasion he was going down to the holy city, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for a for a leaders conference, you know, very holy thing, and he got three or four of his very best, most well behaved, smart preacher friends, and they're going down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, for this conference, and they invited John, young John, to drive for them you know, which is a good thing to do. It was keeping John out of mischief. Goodness knows what John was up to. And, and, and I think that his dad's hope was that something of this holy city would splash off on John and there might be some form of transformation for this rebellious young man. So they've arrived in Tulsa. John's driven them down. They've gone to the first night of the conference. John has not gone. And at the end of the day, they arrive back at their hotel and dad says to John, Hi, hey John, did you have a good evening? And John said with no sense of pride whatsoever, right in front of his three holiest friends, yes, thanks, Dad, I went to the strip club. Uh, Now, (laughs) all of you parents, just ponder for a second what your reaction would have been under those circumstances. And I think the reason this is so powerful and the reason that John tells the story is his dad just looked him in the eyes, said, well, I don't care, John, because you're my son, and I love you. I'm not sure those would have been the words coming out of my mouth. So. under He had tiger love. You know, and there's no doubt that that incident, that situation changed his life, actually. Because his dad didn't love him like a pussycat. He loved him like a tiger. Whatever the consequences, whatever was swirling around inside of his head. I mean, I'd have had to clench that tap pretty tight because it would have been coming gushing out for me. But he loved him like a tiger, and it changed his life. And John is one of the most radical followers of Jesus that I know. You'd have to be to live in Apsley, Ontario, because it snows most of the year. But just a great, faith-filled man of God. I'm going to give you a, just, just a quick challenge as we respond today, and then I'm done. The first one is this. I'd like you to consider today, whoever you are, wherever you are, I'd like you to consider inviting God's love into your heart to change your life. Now, I don't know when you walked through these doors this morning how you pictured God's love. I don't think you were expecting me to start talking about tiger love, but that's what it was like. How did Jesus love like that under all that intimidation, under all that injustice? How did he have a love that was so strong and so courageous and so bold and yet sensitive and thoughtful and gentle? You know, one of the things for me is I felt very early on that God said to me, Jamie, you need to be gentle. You know, and I think for me, gentle is a really strong masculine emotion because it's easy to crush. Don't we live in a crushing world? I mean, anyone on social media and some of, the, you know, some of the stuff that's going on out there, what we desperately need is a little bit of gentleness. You know, gentleness is a function of tiger love because it turns off all the aggression and the selfishness and it chooses to act with a tiger-like love. So I don't know what you thought about God's love coming in. Maybe I've painted a little bit of a different picture today but I'd encourage you, like Fraser has, to invite that love into your life. And then then there's a dangerous prayer that you might like to, to pray, which goes something like this. God, would you do in me whatever you need to do so that you can do through me whatever you need to do? The point being, if you can get that real revelation of what is love, is life, if you can really let it in deep enough, if you can allow God to smooth off those edges and to change those perspectives and those lashing out reactive habits, then there is no limit to what God can do in you and through you. So my first challenge is to invite God, God's love, into your heart to change your life. And the second one is slightly more specific, and it's very simple, it's this whatever challenges you are facing right now. I don't know what's going through your head, the conversation you've had yesterday, or conversation you're gonna to have tomorrow. But whatever challenges you are facing right now, I'd say it's time to unleash a little bit of tiger love. And we're gonna we're gonna invite the worship team to come up again now. We're gonna sing, Let's have the opportunity res- to respond. You know, I'd like to give you the opportunity just to ponder those two challenges. that that The opening of the door and saying, God, I need that love. I need that love. And secondly, the, the situations you're in right now, what would it look like to start loving like a tiger? Have a love that was fierce and strong and furious and determined and bold. What would it be like to start loving the unlovely? What would it start looking like to bless those people as they're cursing you? Do you know, whatever you're facing right now, if you would unleash some tiger love, you never know what God can do because you're opening the door to what God can do. Okay, I'm going to invite you to stand. Thank you very much for listening so patiently. In my head, my preach is always 10 minutes. In reality, it's normally close to an hour. So that was quite good. I'm just going to pray very simply. Lord, we thank you so much that Jesus came from the comfort of heaven and demonstrated your love. By the way he served, by the way he died, and ultimately by the victory he won. And Lord, I pray very simply, Lord, would that love change our lives? And Lord, would you teach us how to love like you loved? I'm convinced that we've allowed Hollywood to teach us what love looks like. which case I fear we're looking in the wrong place. Because if we want to know what real love is like, we need to look in Jesus' eyes. Father, help us to love like tigers, not like pussycats. In Jesus' name. Amen.